But today, we are tying a bow on this uh, series on prayer that we've been after for the past five weeks. And um, so, in beginning this message, uh, it's going to actually kind of, this, this particular message is going to start out much like the other ones, but then we're going to do something a little different um, toward the end of the message. So here's the question that I have for you guys this morning as we jump in. Have you ever had something that's right in front of you and yet you just didn't see it? Like it was right there, but somehow you missed it? For whatever reason, I seem to have this struggle in my life. Things right in front of me and I can't see them. When I was a kid, I, I just remember constantly trying to find things. Anybody kind of can relate to this? And I'd be, you know, I'd be somewhere and I'd be like, Mom, Mom, where's my baseball glove? And she'd be like, it's in your closet. Did you check your closet? Yeah, I checked my closet. Are you sure? Because I know it's in there. Yeah, Mom, I checked my closet. I, I can't find it anywhere. Sure enough, she comes up. Where does she produce? Out right out of my closet. My baseball glove, right? It was right there. I just couldn't see it. And so I just remember this as a kid. My mom just had this knack for being able to, to see stuff I couldn't see and find stuff and like magically produce things that somehow were invisible to me. Well, you'd think that I'd be able to kick this habit as I became an adult. But now my mom has just been replaced by my wife. And I don't know if any of you guys can, can relate to this uh, thing, but... Just, I mean, literally, it still happens to me all the time. It happened to me just yesterday, in fact. And so I'm I'm trying to find something, right? So I'm like, I've got this nice black dress belt that goes with this suit that I wear. And um, so I'm searching everywhere. I can't find my black belt. And so I yell down to, to my wife, Becky. I say, babe, babe, have you seen my black, my nice black belt? I can't find it. Where is it? And she says, did you check your closet? Yes. I checked the closet. Did you check, check the top drawer? Yes. Yeah, I checked it. I checked it. I can't find it. She's like, are you sure you checked it? Because I know it's there. Yeah, yeah, I checked. It's not there. It's not there. So she comes up the stairs, you know, as she always does. And um, actually, I got to tell you something before that. So, but just before that, she goes, did you try my special trick? Did you use my special trick? Now, my wife is very funny. So... The special trick, this is something that, I have three young kids, so this is something that's come along since we had kids, because um, this happens also with my kids trying to find things, and mom's always got to find it. And so, you know, they'll be looking for something, and she'll like, it's right here. And they're like, oh my gosh, mom, how did you find that? That's so cool. And she'll say, I used my special trick. And they're like, what's your special trick, mom? And she goes, you ready? Watch, watch, watch. (laughs) Uh, And she even has a song that she sings. Abre los ojos, abre los ojos, open up your eyes, right? For those who know Spanish. Okay. And actually, just last week, my five-year-old daughter was singing that song just randomly, just walking around the house, just, just, just singing it. So she's got this special trick. And then there's actually, she's got another special trick that she uses. She says, actually, that's not it. There's, there's this one, but then there's also, there's one that goes like this, where you actually go like that, and then you find your thing. And then, actually, then there's an advanced maneuver if you're really, like, if you're really good. And there's this special trick where you actually go like this. You go, you find something underneath. And so she, she calls up, did you use my special trick? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's very funny. Yeah, yeah, I've looked, I've looked. Could you just get up here and help me find the belt? So she comes up the stairs into the bedroom. The drawer is hanging open. And, and you know, guys, that you have those moments 
where, where you're kind of like, you're, you're excited and you're horrified all at the same time. Because I'm telling you, she walks into the room and the belt was not there before she entered the room. It wasn't there. And all of a sudden, just by her walking in, I don't know, it's like Jesus just walked into the bedroom or something. You know, I don't, I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, I look back at the drawer just as she's looking at the drawer and the belt is there. It's just, there. it wasn't there. Guys, can, can I get, can I, can you feeling me? Okay. And, and so it's like, it was right there in front of me, but somehow I missed it. You, you know when that happens? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're actually going to talk today about something that we as a church, it's right in front of us. And yet we've missed it. And when I say a church, I'm actually not just talking about Grace Community Church. I'm talking about the capital C church. I'm talking about the church in the Western world. It's something that has been right in front of us and largely we've missed it. And for many of us as individuals in this room, this is something that as we're going through this today, you're going to say, wow, yeah, this is, how did I miss this? This has been right in front of me. So we're going to jump right in. As I said, we are finishing up uh, this series called Pray, and um, we're looking at Psalm 146 today. Psalm 146 is a praise psalm. There's different types of psalms, these, these inspired prayers to God that are smack dab in the middle of your Bible. There's 150 of them. We're at a, Psalm 146, and this is a praise psalm. Now, a praise psalm, it, we talked about this in the, in the very beginning of the series. A praise psalm is simply praising God for who he is and what he's done. So it's basically, and we talked about this in week one, powerful prayers begin with praise. Focusing not on ourselves, but on who God is and letting that lead and guide our prayers. So the psalmist here is just praising God for who God is. And he's going through all these different attributes about God. And then we get to verse seven, which is where I want to land today, verses seven through nine. And this is what the psalmist writes. Speaking about God, he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Now, you see these verses, and this tells us something about who God is. That God is a God who cares about the oppressed and the hungry and the blind and the bowed down and the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow. And we see these verses and we go, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I knew that. I knew that God cares about, about those types of people. I've, I've known that. You're not showing me anything that I didn't know. I know God cares about poverty and injustice. And that's great. But I think what we've missed is just how much God cares. Did you know that there are over 2,100 verses in the Bible that talk about the poor and the oppressed? There are 2,100 verses in the Bible that deal with poverty and injustice. Now, this is a staggering number, and, it, and quite frankly, it's, it's hard to believe. You might be wondering, where did you get that number, 2,100 verses? Well, um, interestingly enough, 
I didn't go through and read the whole Bible last week and, and try and find all those 2,100, but um, there is actually a, a Bible that's been produced by the American Bible Society. It's called the Poverty and Justice Bible. And um, this Bible's pretty cool because essentially it's just all the same scriptures and everything that you have in, in your Bible, if you have one. But every time that there's a verse on poverty or justice, it's highlighted in orange. And for those of you who know, I'm a Cincinnati Bengals football fan, so orange is a good color for me. So, so I, I like that. That's why I got this Bible. But um, as you just, as you flip through, it is absolutely staggering how much God cares about this issue. So if, if I had, um, we have a stockpile of Easter eggs at, at the church office, okay? So if I had if, if I had a bunch of these Easter eggs and I was going to pile up 2,100 Easter eggs to, to kind of show you if each of these eggs represented one verse, this is how many verses in the Bible God talks about poverty and justice. It's pretty staggering, isn't it? I think there's a message here we were supposed to get. And I know at times I totally missed the thing that was right in front of me. What's amazing is as you flip through this Bible, just page after page after page of orange, over and over and over again. It's incredible, actually. You see, God's concern for the poor and his emphasis on being just and fair, it really underpins the Torah. It, those first five books of the Bible, it's just the, all those laws that were given to God's people, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You see verse after verse after verse just talking about God's concern for the poor and his emphasis on being just and fair. Uh, not only is it there, but it saturates the wisdom writings as you go further on into the Old Testament. Those books like um, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job. And then God's concern for the poor and his emphasis on being just and fair, all these verses, they resound in the words of the Old Testament prophets who hearken God's people to return back to what they know, to not lose sight of the widow and the orphan and the oppressed and the poor who are among them. And it's just all over the place. And then you get to Jesus and really that's where God's heart for the poor and his emphasis on justice and fairness, that's really where it's, it's lived out. And then you see it in the early church. So it's all throughout the Bible. And so somehow, it's right in front of us, isn't it? All these verses, you can hardly turn a page in your Bible without stumbling across one of these verses. And yet somehow, we've missed it. And you know what just sickens me about this whole thing? It's when well-meaning churches, they decide that, you know what, we're going to run after a particular issue that we see in the Bible. And so they'll take an issue that maybe is in the Bible a handful of times. And they'll say, man, we have to rally around this. We have to, we have to champion this cause. And you know what happens oftentimes? These churches become known for their stance on a particular issue that while yes, it is important, yes, it is the truth of God, yes, it is in the Bible and it needs to be upheld and declared, but they become known for this thing. So 
Um, if those of you who were here last October 20th, uh, we talked about the issue of homosexuality here at Grace. And um, in that sermon, John talked about how there are nine verses, nine verses that talk about homosexuality in the Bible. There's nine. It's an important issue to talk about. And we talked about it here. But does anybody, does anybody notice anything about this? And yet, if you remember from that message, which I'm sure all of you do, um, just kidding, but I went back and listened to it, and John was talking about a survey that he had read of people who didn't go to church in the United States, 16 to 29-year-olds. They said, what's the church all about? You know what 91% of them said? It's all about homosexuality. Church is anti-gay. That's, that's what stood out to them the most. That is so incredibly sad. It's, it, it just kills me. Because this is, is an issue that needs to be addressed and talked about. But listen, how much more attention does God want us to give to the issues of poverty and oppression in our world? You know, um, if you could like read the entire Bible in one sitting, like if you were a super, super speed reader, there, there's a guy who set the Guinness Book of World Records in 1990. His name was Howard Berg. I got a picture of him. And he, he supposedly could read, speed read 25,000 words a minute, okay? That's 80 pages a minute. That's more than a page a second, okay? I don't believe for a second that he actually was, was telling the truth, okay? I do not believe that Howard Berg could read that fast. But if you could... If you could read 25,000 words a minute, you could read the entire Bible in 30 minutes. Wouldn't that be cool? You just, in one sitting, you could get the whole deal. You know what that would do? You'd all of a sudden, you'd have a big picture understanding. Okay, like macro level, what are the things? Not zeroing in on any one verse. And you know what? You know what you would find if you were able to read the Bible in 30 minutes and, and digest all of it? What you would find is God has this incredible concern for the poor and the oppressed. God has an incredible heart for poverty and injustice. This is something that is actually right in front of us, yet how often have we missed that thing that was right there? And we haven't even really talked about Jesus yet. I mean, so in all this, we've got Jesus then who for those of you who are here and, and we actually believe that, that Jesus is as the son of God who came to this earth, we believe that Jesus came to this earth, was God in human form, and was there basically just to show us what's the deal, to clear up any confusion that we have. You want to know anything about who, who God is? Just look at Jesus. You want to know what God thinks about a certain issue? What did Jesus say about that issue? And so we've got Jesus who comes down, and check this out in, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. Verse 16 through 21. This is early on in Jesus' ministry. It says that he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, because he was Jewish. He stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, 
and sat down. It says the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus was doing there is he was declaring to everybody this prophecy that was written in the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah. He was saying, you know what, guys? Yeah, that's what I'm here to do. He's kicking off his ministry. I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, sight for the blind, and setting the oppressed free. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk, didn't he? See, I have a big problem with, I don't mind if you're a talker, but you, you've got to be able to walk the walk. You've got to be able to back it up. That's why, I don't know if you get, any of you guys are football fans. You remember Deion Sanders, I think just recently got inducted into the Hall of Fame. We have a great uh, picture of him. You guys, for those of you who remember when he was on the Redskins, right? Deion Sanders, Deion Sanders, he was a guy that, man, he, he was such a talker. But what I love about this guy is he could talk. You know why he could say what he said? Because he could back it up. He was absolutely awesome. And this is what we see in Jesus. He's out there declaring, this is what my ministry is all about. And then that's what he did. So if you spend any time in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where do you see Jesus and what do you see Jesus doing? Is he hanging out with the wealthy people? Is he hanging out with the, the powerful elite? Is he hanging out with, with political figures? What, where, where is he? What's he doing? He's, he's out there on the streets, isn't he? He's, he's with the poor. He's with the oppressed. He's with the lame. He's with the outcast and the marginalized of society. He's out there healing people and giving people hope and inspiring people. The, all the people that the religious folks had said, oh, God doesn't care about you. There's no hope for you. Those were all the people that Jesus was out there with. See, when we see Jesus and what Jesus did, that, that is the clearest picture we could ever have of God's heart for the poor and the oppressed. And it's so obvious, isn't it? I mean, I'm not telling you anything you didn't know today. It's so obvious. It's like the black belt that was right there in your top drawer. But yet how often do we miss it? We can get so caught up as Christians or in church life or whatever in all these other great things and yet we lose sight of arguably the thing that is most important to God. So if you're here today and you're like, okay, got it. This is a big deal to God, okay? God cares about poverty and he cares about injustice. Check, I'm with you. Yeah, great reminder. I see the black belt again. I'm good, all right? But maybe you're sitting there going, that's all good, but what ultimately is God doing about it? I mean, poverty is everywhere. Injustice is all over the place. You can't get away from it. You can't avoid it. You hear about it every time you turn on the news, anytime you read a newspaper, whatever, you're always seeing it. It's always in front of us. And so maybe there's some of you and you're like, yeah, you know, let's put that uh, Psalm 146 back up again. Because you see, the question that's going on in your mind is, okay, if this is such a big deal to God, what's he doing about it? I mean, how, when we look at Psalm 146, 7 through 9, how is God upholding the cause of the oppressed? 
How is he giving food to the hungry? Yeah, it's a big deal to God. But how is he setting prisoners free? How is he giving sight to the blind today? How is he lifting up those who are bowed down? Not back in Jesus' time. We know that, but Jesus isn't here. How is he watching over the foreigner and sustaining the fatherless and the widow? See, some of you are here right now and you're going, you know, God may care a whole big deal. Maybe 2,100 plus verses in the Bible show God's heart for this, but I don't see it. I mean, it looks to me like he's not doing anything. Maybe your question is, in all this, where's God? And if that's your question today, when you see tremendous poverty and suffering and injustice, see, the question actually isn't, where is God? The question is where are God's people? That's the question. See, because the way that God brings help to the poor, the way that God brings relief and justice to the oppressed today is through God's people. That's how God's working and moving. So the Apostle Paul He's writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and um, Paul was a, a great student of, of Jesus through the years in his ministry, and, um, and so he's writing to encourage Christians in, in Corinth. And what he says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is just this profound truth. He says to them, now, now you, speaking corporately, speaking to a large group of them, now you are the body of Christ, okay? So if he, were, if, if, if he were speaking to us today on stage, he would say that to, to those of us in this room who would call ourselves uh, a professing believer in Jesus. You are the body of Christ. And then he says individually, and each one of you, so now each one of us on an individual level is a part of it. And basically what this truth is proclaiming is that while Jesus was here, we saw all the things that he did. We saw God's heart reflected in this world. But now Jesus isn't here anymore. And instead, Jesus' followers are here. And each one of us who's put our faith in Jesus, we now have his spirit inside of us, and we are now the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. That's what we're on this earth to do is to be Jesus to this world. So the question isn't, where is God in all this? The question that I hope moves you, I hope it, it, it keeps you up tonight, I really do, is where are God's people in all this? Because you see, we are the hands and feet of Jesus in this world today. See, God could choose just supernaturally to reach down from heaven and just take care of all of it. He could take care of all the poverty. He could take care of all the problems. He could take care of all the injustice. He could wipe it out in a second. We know it's a huge deal to God. He could just reach down. He doesn't need any one of us to take care of this issue. But for whatever reason, he chooses to partner with us. Instead of reaching down, he chooses to partner up. And I don't exactly understand why he does that because I'll tell you what, it's crazy, isn't it? That's crazy. Involving us, I mean, we're a mess. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you guys are all good. But we're a mess. And, 
That, that's totally a, a messy process, isn't it? Wait, God, you're going you're gonna to involve me in all this? If my, my kids are all pretty small. Uh, they're nine, seven, and five. But when they were, like, it was a few years ago, my kids were, like, really small. Um, one day, we were making some brownies, and they were just begging and begging to be involved in the process of making the brownies. Now, anyone who is a parent of small children knows that when you're getting, like, two-year-old, four-year-old hands on all the ingredients for brownies, that's just not a good idea. That's just, just, just not a good move, okay? But they really wanted to be a part of it, and, you know, we said, yeah. That's fine. Let's do it. So we cleared the table off. And, uh, you know, they wanted to do everything. So they wanted to get their little scissors and cut the package of the brownie mix open. And they wanted to be the ones to pour it. <gasps> you know, and then they wanted to measure the oil into the cup. And they wanted to crack the eggs, you know. And they wanted to mix it. And so what were we left with at the end of that little endeavor? <laughs> oh, man. It looked like a bomb went off in the kitchen. In fact, my, my son... He, he had brownie mix up here, like above his eyebrow. How do you get brownie mix above your eyebrow? I don't even know how that's possible. There was, there was like egg drippings all over the floor. There was pow, brownie powder all over the table. I mean, it was just a mess. We didn't need to involve them in that. It would have been actually just a lot simpler, a lot cleaner if we didn't. But you know, there was something in involving them in that process that was really cool. It was really special. And for those of you who've ever worked with kids at any level, you know how rewarding that is, not just for them, but it's also for you. And so for whatever reason, God chooses to partner with us. He says, you know what? It's your turn now. It's your turn now. You are my hands and my feet in this world. You know what a huge deal this is to me. Now it's your turn to go do something about it. And so really there's just one question that I want you to wrestle with today. And that is, as you think about all the suffering in the world, as you think about all the poverty, you think about the injustice, you think about all the terrible things that we don't like to think about very often because quite frankly, it's just far too depressing. But as you just take a moment to get back in touch with that, and then you think about God's heart for the poor and the oppressed. And here's the stinging question. Here's what I want you to ask yourself. What am I doing about it? What am I doing about this? It's a, it's a sobering question. It's, it's not a fun one to wrestle with. What am I doing? And I want you to, if, if, you, if you're like, uh, I want you to think of it in terms of two ways. In terms of your time and your treasure. Time and treasure. Your calendar, your schedule, all the things that are on there. And then if you could just look at a record of all your transactions, your financial transactions. What are we doing about this thing that is a huge deal to God? Now, as you're wrestling with that question, I want to make a confession. Because here at Grace, we've actually missed something too. And what we've missed, and, uh, and I'll take the hit on this because our, as our executive pastor, I'm kind of 
have a big hand in our programming and what happens on Sundays and all the little announcements and everything that goes into that. Um, but we've actually missed keeping you guys informed of all the things that this church is doing when it comes to these issues. Grace, and many of you know this because many of you are involved with different things, but Grace is incredibly missions-minded. It has been from the very, very beginning when Grace first began. Um, Grace is doing things all over the place, but here, here's our problem. We, we got to a place where we just kind of felt like, you know, we're a church for people who don't go to church, so we don't want to be up here kind of making it seem like we're bragging on all the great things that we're doing. And so for many, many things that we do, we've just kind of allowed those things to go on, and many of you are out there serving at the the carpenter shelter, the homeless shelter in Alexandria. Many of you who are here, you serve at Casa Chiralog, where we work with at-risk kids down in Arlandria. Uh, many of you here have partnered as we've adopted families and, and all the, the kids here at, at TJ that, that just need a little extra help to be able to, to do what they need to do. Many of you have partnered in our work with the Arlington Food Assistance Center, and, and you know this. But we have not done a good job of standing up here and saying, you know what? This isn't something that we, you know, we got to get over this idea of like, well, we're bragging about it or, or whatever. This is the church in action. This is what the church is called to be. And the reality is when we stand up here and we share what we're doing, that inspires people to do more. And so I just want to personally say that we're going to do a better job of that. I'm sorry that we haven't. So starting this month, the month of August, we're committing to make sure that at least once a month, every single month, you're going to hear first-hand stories of what grace is involved in with those things that I just talked about locally and then our work in Haiti, our work in Mexico, our work in Brazil and in other parts of the world. You're, you're going to just hear those things. We're going to talk about those things because this is something that is a huge deal to God and it's actually a huge deal to grace. But you guys deserve to hear you deserve to know when you put money in a little black box as you walk out the doors, you deserve to know where that money's going and, and, and what's happening because you're all a part of that. So we're going to do a better job with that. And as you hear these stories month after month after month after month of all these different things that Grace is doing, my hope is that you'll be inspired, that you'll jump in. But maybe you're here and you're like, well, hold on, Derek. I am like fired up today. Like I need to, I've, I've burdened today. I need to do something right now before I leave this auditorium. It's killing me. This, this is killing me. You're killing me over here. Want to do something today. Okay, we're Washingtonians. We're people of action. All right. So if you're like, I want to jump in today, let me tell you about something that we're, um, we're going through that I'm very excited about. So we are, we've, we found this book called The Good News About Injustice. And this was written by Gary Haugen, uh, who is the president of International Justice Mission, which if you haven't heard of IJM, man, it is a big deal. The work they are doing to free uh, men, women, and children from slavery and sex trafficking across the world, it is absolutely phenomenal. And so it's a Christian nonprofit organization, um, and, and this book is, is, is such a cool book on how do we tackle issues that are so overwhelming, where we just feel like we're paralyzed. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's so depressing that you're like, well, what, the, what can I really do? Yeah, there's tons of sex trafficking in Thailand. Oh, man, you know, God, I wish I could do something. What am I going to do? Go over there and like be Rambo? And yeah, I mean, what can I do? Pray about it? Okay, that's great. What else? So this book just just 
gets down to brass tacks about what are we doing about big deal issues to God and how can we make a difference? And it is awesome. I just finished reading this book this past week and it's fantastic. So we're starting a book study because here's the thing. We want to jump in, but we want to jump in the right way. We want to jump in the right way. We don't want to actually cause more of a mess. <laughs> you know, we'll make those brownies, but we're going to take the time to do it right. Okay? So if you're interested, we start a, a six-week study on this book. Starts Tuesday, August the 12th, a week from this coming Tuesday. It's going to be Tuesday nights. It's going to be six weeks long. And um, we, have, we have books out in the lobby. And I just ask if, you, if you're interested, we have a limited number of books. So, so if you just want a book, but you're not doing the study, could you just order it like on Amazon or something? If, you, if you're going to, if you're going to do the study, could you grab a, you know, grab a book from there? I think, I don't remember, I think it's like $10 suggested donation or whatever it is. Um, and so you can jump in and you can get involved and we can start to have conversations about what this looks like. Okay. I, I really encourage you to, to check that out. You can sign up there. Now I just give you one more word. And then I just got a closing thought and we're done. So one more word about this book, okay? Because there's lots of books like this. But, but here's one thing that was really, really cool to me about this book. Fairly early on in this book, there's a section which talks about, it, it just shares some different stories of systemic issues of injustice and oppression that were happening right here in this country, like in the last 100, 150 years. Issues that were huge, overwhelming, the kind of thing where you're like, oh my gosh, there's sex trafficking and all this stuff happening in this country and the police are all in on it and the, and the political leaders aren't doing anything. That kind of stuff was happening right here in the United States of America. And there's three stories in this book where they talk about one person who said, you know what? I'm not taking that. One person who stood up and said, you know what? I'm going to do something about this. And you know what? That one person began something. And all of a sudden, a movement began. And the next thing you know, a whole community was eradicated or a whole you know, ring of corruption was brought down. Because one person just started to say, you know what? I cannot stand for this anymore. And it is, that for me was worth the whole book because my thing is I just flat out get depressed and overwhelmed and I get paralyzed. What, what difference is it going to make? And this inspired me. I'm not getting like a commission on this, by the way. So, but it just, I mean, it just, it really inspired me. Say, we can, we are the body of Christ. We are Jesus' hands and feet. We can make a difference. So if you're interested, you can pick one up in the lobby, sign up for, um, for the discussion that's going to happen on Tuesday nights. So here's, here's my, just a concluding thought, okay? And it's super, super short. We are tying a bow on this whole prayer series. So we've come a long way in the past five weeks. And as we conclude, I think it's fitting to say that this is an issue. If this is such a big deal to God, it's definitely worthy of our prayers. I mean, big time. We should be praying for the poor and the oppressed in this world. But here's the thing. Our prayer shouldn't just be, God, please just help all those people. Our prayer, as we've just come through today, our prayer should be, God, I see what a huge deal this is to you. As your hands and feet, as part of your body in this world, what do you want me to do about it? God, please, I pray you would show me. You would show our church. What do you want 
us to do. That's the prayer. Not just praying, oh, please help, please help. That's a good start, but then take it all the way. So just, God, show me. Show me what issue. Show me, show me something. Show me what I should do. Help me to take a step. Because as one of Jesus' disciples, John, writes in a letter he wrote that's included in the New Testament, 1 John 3.18, he says these words. This is a powerful thought. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So, will you bow your heads with me? Lord God, um, it is amazing, so humbling, that we can have something that is so just right in front of our face, and yet somehow we miss it, God. God, we're sorry for how we can lose sight of something that is such a huge deal to you. Lord, we don't necessarily understand why you would choose to involve us in such messy stuff, God. But we're just grappling with the fact that you have, you, you do, and that we have a responsibility, God. I just pray that you would help us to know what it is you want us to do about the poor and the oppressed. God, and for those of us who just right now, just honestly, we're, we just, we're kind of numb to this issue. I just pray, God, that you'd help us by your spirit that lives in us. You'd help us to care about this. That if this moves your heart this much, that it would move our hearts, God. That you'd motivate us. Lord, and that you would show us. And God, finally, I just pray for those who are here in this room right now who um, feel like they are part of the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized, God. And I, and I just pray that not only would you uh, just bring relief and blessing, but God, that you would stir us up, right, even in this room right now, to be able to recognize that and to be able to do something about it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.